0: Welcome to Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 FM, WMCN, Macalester College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. On today's show we had a great panel discussion featuring Sarah Wolf from Aftertime Jody Tanaka from Morticia and Melissa Fairlock from Plague of Stars. Great conversation. Unfortunately we had a slight technical difficulty with our recording at the beginning of the conversation so we missed about the first 10 minutes. Uh, we're gonna join the conversation in progress and I think you'll really enjoy this discussion. Melissa, you've been in a number of bands, uh, over, over the years. What were some of the early, do you, do you remember your first performance, uh, in a, in a rock band? God,
1: yes, I do. <laughs> I absolutely do. Um, you know, our, it, it's funny because Ace Medeva was this band that had this sort of studio notoriety. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, uh, John was able to get through the help of Rural onto a couple of other labels over in Europe. And so people knew the band, but the band wasn't actually performing yet. So um, it was funny because I had actually moved out to Boston, and that's when John decided to start the band side of it because we were invited to play down in Mexico City
2: cool.
1: and, um, and open for for, uh, yeah, open for him and for Tristania. Wow. That was like our first set gig, which wow. was kind of cool. Yeah. But we were like, we better play a few shows before we go and do that. <laughs> um, so we actually played, um, we played down, uh, Oh, what's the German restaurant? mario's keller bar oh yeah you know down below yeah east, so yep. yeah yeah so that was our first like kind of launch and then we had gotten um on, also on milwaukee metal fest mm-hmm. so i just remember like we were in this basement of this like sigi zaki kind of <laughs> german <laughs> restaurant all gothed out <laughs> Did um, you pass
0: the boot while you were on stage?
1: I think we did after. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. And then, um, and then we went out to Milwaukee Metal Fest, and my mind was blown away. And this is classic girl. I mean, I'm sure Jody can probably relay. So we're sitting there, and I just, I, you know, it was like this whole new world had been opened up to me. And I remember sitting there and watching. um, Oh God, the name just flew out of my brain but it was a black metal band from here and they one of the guys was on stage carving up his chest and wow. i'm sitting there just my mouth must have been wide open and earl sidles up to me and like nudges me laughs and says isn't that just the most hilarious stuff you've ever seen and i was like oh i'm supposed to laugh at this Is this real?
0: right that's funny so,
1: yeah right right but it was like i mean that was sort of and like we played for a huge kind of, you know, amount of people. It was very, wow. I mean, it just gets your blood going. This guy came, we did, we used to do Mozart covers on stage, metal Mozart covers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Beethoven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it fits. So, um, but yeah, this one big guy in chains came up after and was like, well, you know, maybe I'll try out like a real, go into a real opera, you know, but I feel like I'm not like, like I'm not allowed to do that. Wow. And I'm like, wow, that's, that sucks. Like yeah. that, that really says something about just that exclusivity world that opera was mm-hmm. that I, was not all about yeah. So. yeah yeah that's
0: that's fascinating you know I mean we could go down a whole rabbit hole yeah, of the inclusive nature of metal and all of that kind of yeah. stuff because I mean I think you're right there's there's so much more of a welcoming environment in mm-hmm. in you know the hard rock absolutely community for so so many years Jody do you remember your first like Morticia performance
2: um Morticia I think our first actual gig was um with the clams and the blue up um playing at i want to say it was uh, well it was a college i don't remember where mm-hmm. um then the uptown bar i think was our second oh, gig and then i R. think I we P. actually played first Ave as our third wow mm-hmm. the main room the main room yeah wow we did um some showcases uh kevin cole used to book cool little showcases and yeah. we got to do that which was I mean, Kevin Cole was awesome to us and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so influential in the Twin Cities and now out in Seattle. Yeah. But, um, so, yeah, I we had amazingly cool gigs and, you know, just, um, again, because of where we were in the time and the place and the scene, mm-hmm. we'd play again, you know, the Uptown and First Avenue and then, like I said, over to Ryan's mm-hmm. or Mirage or some goofy yeah. cover band club that, you know... They thought that was a little nuts to bring us in, but we'd <laughs> for some reason we'd we'd pull in a lot of people in those venues as well yeah
0: so. what uh what was the reception like from the audience at those clubs
2: Oh it was awesome i mean we had we had a blast because we'd put on a big show and so you know everything with fire and um, <laughs> different pyro and different i mean we did a, a operation dissection on stage once and <laughs> so we'd we'd always get a lot of people that came in and and you know some people would kind of scratch their heads like I don't get this band at all yeah but they'd be at the next show
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's all that matters yep. that's all that matters Sarah you came in you mentioned into a band that has already sort of established what was the vision that you had as you went into that band and how did that coalesce
3: so the guys were very upfront with me from the get go that this wasn't going to be just a side hobby project kind of band. They were serious about making this a career. This was the long term goal. And they wanted to make sure I knew so that I could commit to that you know level of professionalism. And um, I was on board just from hearing what they had to say, realizing that this was an opportunity to continue music in a more productive way than I had previously been trying to do um they weren't so much established at that point they'd done a few little local shows to maybe a handful of people Mm -hmm. but um the first ep wasn't even out yet so although the songs had been finished being written by the time i joined um i was the one who ended up recording them for that first ep and so it was nice going into our second release that i had a little bit more um to contribute in the writing process.
0: And and do you, do you feel like the the vision for the band has changed over time now that you've been in and had a little bit more influence?
3: Yeah, I think we have more direction now as far as who we are as a band, what we want to represent as our branding um you know, we're not just another symphonic metal band mm-hmm. anymore. We, you know, we found our what we call our micro niche, which is where we we take what you would expect from a symphonic metal band and we double down on the orchestra part of things. And that has brought us into this micro niche called cinematic metal. Mm-hmm. So we really go for that over the top memorable themes, the the John Williams score feel along with telling stories um, of, you know, people from distant lands or far off times or, you know, kind of that fantasy element as well. And I am, like I said before, I'm so in love with the music. And I think as far as the rest of the genre goes, I think we have a unique sound to bring to that where, you know, we're going to, we're going to stand out a little bit more. And I think we need to just keep moving in that direction. Yeah.
0: All three of your bands sort of have that dark, lyrical, you know, grand sort of thematic lyrical content. How did that develop? Was that really part of the original plan or is it something that as you guys brainstormed with your with your bandmates that it sort of evolved? Was that was that a pretty clear vision or was it something that kind of percolated?
1: Um lyrically, I I guess with our first with Plague of Stars with our first album, I just sort of had, you know, we we were we were playing around, we were trying to figure out our themes. I mean, mm-hmm. I knew I, you know, I to go a little bit more apocalyptic more political as you know (laughs) and our latest album is very kind of more political and more about the destruction of humanity at the hands of technology and Mm -hmm. and innovation so uh, you know I I didn't actually it's kind of funny I didn't think that I was going to go for a theme with this latest album but it just kind of happened that I did I had a lot to sort of write and think through and process Mm -hmm. about this theme that it just turned into kind of a thematic album Mm -hmm. I don't know if we'll do that on the next one I'm not sure yet because we're not there yeah yeah
0: And obviously with Morticia, you guys had a very clear picture of, you know, the gothic themes that you wanted to present, but you also had some other things like voyeur, which were sort of different from that. Talk a little bit about some of your lyrical explorations.
2: Um, well, uh, Matt Batchelor and I founded the band Mm -hmm. and we, we shared this, you know, great love for horror movies and especially classic horror movies, Mm um, and it was really kind of at a time with, um, you know, kind of a punk rock era. And um, and so we were kind of the opposite. We'd have some punk rock feel to mm-hmm. to some of our music. But we kind of wrote a little bit more romantic style, mm-hmm. scary songs that told stories. Yeah. Um, but like you say, you know, voyeur um voyeur was kind of a twisted cultural statement Mm -hmm. um we had uh chemical cocktail is a song that we wrote that um actually i hadn't heard it in a long long time and i listened to it this morning and it was like it was about the destruction of the planet and Mm -hmm. again it was through abuse of the planet Mm -hmm. and through politics and greed and wealth and it's like wow more relevant than it ever has been um in terms of just telling the story the the piece that we didn't have in terms of a metal side was that angry edge. Right. And um, and that, you know, we weren't an angry band that was, you know, just all about, you know, grovelly voices and, and pounding our fists and screaming. We, we really wanted to tell stories and, and have some escapism, some fantasy in there, but then also some things that were important to us to write and sing about. Yeah. And Voyeur, like you mentioned that, that was... That was just a blast to do, um, and you know it actually had its its roots in um, in a horror movie as well, and so it's it's really um, that song was a blast because we we shot a video for it over in Saint Paul, and and the song um, obviously it's about a voyeur, but we went into um, a, a, the notorious Faust, which was um, pretty seedy porn club um, and they were shutting the doors down and so we said hey can we shoot a video there after you shut the (laughs) doors and they said yeah come on in so we could tear out walls and we could really set that whole seedy stage for what that video turned out to be and um, as we were recording the video um uh had a costume change or something and went back into the dressing room and I'd been sliding down a banister all morning. Like on My leg was purple on the side. It didn't make the video, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, went in, hobbled into the dressing room, and there was just a, a radio station playing in there at the time. And I was like, wait a minute, that's, that's Voyeur that I'm hearing. You're kidding. We were shooting the video to Voyeur, and I heard the song on the radio, and I was like... Where is that coming from? And it turns out that um, Z-Rock was the first satellite radio station, I think, ever Mm -hmm. in the U.S. And they were out of Dallas, Texas. And there was a DJ down there who had the album and Voyeur and just loved that song. Wow! And so we really made a a regular um, playlist with him. And so we quick went and called him and said, hey, we're shooting a video to that song. We're up (laughs) in Minneapolis or St. Paul and he's like that's so cool and so a week later we flew down and um did his radio show for like four hours one night actually chris and chris winter and i went down and and were guest djs with him and so it was just kind of a, a crazy, cool, fun experience.
0: What an amazing coincidence. Yeah. It's like, watch. that's kind of like that double mirror reflection, right? You see infinite totally. infinite voyeur, right?
2: Yeah, it was shocking. Oh. It was so
0: cool.
1: <laughs> like, oh, my song, I hear it. <laughs> it's like a sign that you picked the right song to make the video to.
2: I, I know. Exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, if you just joined us, you're listening to Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 FM, McAllister <laughs> College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. We've got three, uh, as Melissa put it, uh, metal mavens uh, here in the studio with us. We've got Melissa Fairlock from Plague of Stars, Jody Tanaka from Morticia and Sarah Wolf from Aftertime are in studio with us. And I'm sort of curious to know a little bit. You talked some about the the songwriting process. I'm interested to know what that process is like for each of your bands. Do you, does somebody bring in like little riffs or a, a lyric? What's the process that you guys use to develop your new music?
3: Um, I would say overall our songwriting process is really collaborative, um, Each person, of course, writes their own instruments part, but I would say usually one of us will have an idea for a song, Mm -hmm. and two or maybe three of us will work together on that song before it's finished. Um, There's been a few songs, you know, I would say the initial idea for many of the songs comes from Brad Sturgis. He's the rhythm guitarist and, like I said, the main composer for the group, but... Um, you know, he and I collaborate on lyrics or maybe Chris will have an idea. He's our lead guitarist. So usually any of our songs can't be tied to any one of us. Um, and I really like that dynamic between us cause I, I find it really helpful to bounce ideas off of each other and mm-hmm. say, well, what if we try this? Or if you're stuck on that, let me take a look at it. Um, and it works really well for us.
0: That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you guys, Melissa?
1: Um you know we have kind of three main songwriters I guess in in our group with with um Tim and uh, Frodo and Will and so they you know we, we sort of set the idea of like what do we want to accomplish with this one because generally what with with our albums what we try to do is really not stick to one genre mm-hmm. you know so that it just has a lot of variety yep. um, so usually what they'll do is they'll bring in a couple of riffs we'll kind of take a look at them they'll start to play them out they'll start to record them out a little bit and then once they're sort of in a place that's when I usually start to take a look at it then and, and lay down you know what where are the lyrics for that one Mm -hmm. um you know what's the vocal lines and then I sort of do that at the for basically at the very end Mm -hmm. actually not at the very end because then my husband actually goes in and does some more kind of key work and Mm -hmm. um sound samples and things like that Mm -hmm. so um yeah so I mean like Sarah said, I mean it's it's collaborative for sure. Um, it's actually the most collaborative band that I've been in. Mm-hmm. Um, Symphonic metal, I think, usually kind of tends to be like one main guy that mm-hmm. writes it, and everybody else sort of does their part, right. similar to like a classical composer. You know, it's sort of that same mentality. Sure. Yeah. Um, so that's what I really like about this band because it is very democratic, and mm-hmm. um, everybody feels like they're contributing.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: which is important.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what was the process like? You guys did two full lengths, right, Jody?
2: no we did three and then um three and then a re-release of some of the first records so four
0: four total and what was that process like when you were
2: not democratic not collaborative (laughs) (laughs) um you know I want to I want to give credit where credit's due and Matt Batchelor is really the genius behind the the music and songwriting um I will say that I contributed quite a bit, but in terms of um, our band, we've had an evolution of members. I mean, we've been around forever, and we have some real core people, um, but we have worked with a lot of musicians in the Twin Cities, and um, a lot of great musicians, and our our lineup now is, is outstanding in terms of the talent, but... Um, but really Matt and I we we were married at the time too and so you know a lot of time was spent just in our studio and talking about ideas and we'd get um ideas either musically from a, a a style or a theme or a just a riff that we built off of or sometimes we would you know write the write the lyrics write the song and then go in and and create the music behind it so um, but often it was like five different songs at once. It wasn't, you know, okay, we wrote a beautiful song about this. Now let's mm-hmm. write something else. Um, there were, There's just always so many different ideas out there that you'd, you know, be working on one and recording another and then go through multiple iterations of it. But, mm-hmm. um, but we had a lot of really incredible talent that would come in and, and enhance and, and add, you know, some really good creative insights, you know, guitar riffs or... Um, you know, fills and, you know, and being a metal band with the keyboard um, keyboards was a really cool way to really expand yeah. beyond just those, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, as assumed roles of, a, of each member.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting the way you use the keyboards to create sort of even more darkness. You know, I mean, a lot of those sort of classical themes that you run through a lot of your songs come through on the keyboard part. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um the whole new music idea is is very different these days than it, it was in the past. I mean, distribution has changed so much. The way b- bands and musicians make money is so different. I mean, it used to be where the album was the big driver and touring and promotion was sort of the second the way to get the word out about the record. But now it's totally flipped on its head. I mean, what what does that look like for you as you think about new music in your bands? I mean, what how important is that to getting out the word about the band?
1: Hmm. Well, it's kind of two questions there, right? It's like, how do you, how do you sort of promote the band? But then also, how do you make the money to support the albums and the new music? And what we have found is that, you know, the way that we've been supporting financially the band is really by doing the live shows Mm -hmm. and making our, you know, our money for invest reinvesting back into the album into the music. Um, so I mean what's great about today is that there is a lot of autonomy that bands have because of all of the tools and and to, to be very DIY is at your mm. disposal. That also has sort of a dark edge to it in that now everybody on the planet's doing music. So I mean there's there's <laughs> there's sort of a lot out there right. to to pay attention to. So I mean I don't I don't know. I mean I, I, I think we just kind of You know, we we all just really invest in the music. Um, We, you know, we're hoping to, to actually release an album a little quicker than our last kind of break between the two albums. So we're hoping to get back in the studio 2020, 2021. Um, but yeah, and really it's because like, you know, you get tired of playing the same songs, <laughs> right. so you kind of need some more songs to play. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, yep. you know, and, and it really is sort of like, what's our inspiration? What, where are we going to be at that point? What's the thing that we're going to be very angry about to, to write it? Cause we do write angry, <laughs> I write angry stuff. Um, but you know, it's therapeutic in that way, I guess. Yeah. So Hathartic. it's a little bit yeah. of therapy. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: And Sarah, you're kind of going through that process right now. I mean, you're in the midst of writing a new record, putting that together. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious to know uh, specifically about your your crowdfunding process. You've done that a couple of times now. Talk a little bit about we what have. that's like.
3: Um, so record labels as a whole, they're on their deathbed. And, you know, they have been for a number of years. And so the great thing, like what Melissa mentioned, is there is a lot of autonomy and a lot of opportunity for bands to stand on their own two feet these days, especially with the advent of social media and being able to promote your music to people across the world from you without ever having needed needed to have played a show over there. You know, you have that access to stream your music to them and show them, you know, music videos through, you know, YouTube. You don't have to get on MTV anymore. And so part of that is, um, you know, not needing record labels to fund your albums Mm -hmm. because a lot of the bands that are on those labels right now, you know, they'll get the upfront money for the album and then they're touring, you know, 50 weekends out of the, out of the year just to try and make back that money. And So, we have looked into crowdfunding because the way we choose to approach our marketing now with our band is to appeal to the fans directly. It's not all a numbers game as far as, you know, we want to have the most likes on Facebook or the most views. What we want are a handful of really dedicated fans that value the music, value us as people, value the band and want to genuinely see us succeed and they're willing to put the money forward for things that the band wants to do. Mm-hmm. And so the best way to nurture that relationship is with crowdfunding where, you know, we come across, we say here's where we at, where we're at, what we're trying to do, what we're about. Here's how you can help us and here's why you should. Mm-hmm. And so the funding that we've done before one was for our music video for our track masquerade which was a successful campaign so we were able to take that money and hire a very nice um, studio to come in and help us film that we were able to book time at the van dusen mansion which is where we were able to film which perfectly fit the atmosphere of the album and so we were able to elevate that music video to a professional level thanks to that crowdfunding and our most recent effort was for the our full-length album which is titled the farthest shore granted this is a 12 song album so there's a lot more that needs to go into it and so the the price tag that comes with that and maintaining that professional sound that we want to have you know we can't do it on our own Mm -hmm. And so although that campaign wasn't successful, it did do wonders for getting our name out there to people, getting people to have sneak peeks of what to expect from the album and bring new fans on board so the next time we do something like that... You know they're already on board and ready, like wallet in hand, <laughs> and so you. It's it's a back and forth because we don't want to sound like you know we're just milking our fans for money. Right. It's it's a relationship, and it's well, got to be built the on that you trust come, and yeah. and yeah, and they find value in it as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really important to nurture that relationship to know let them know how much they're valued. Yeah,
0: the studios were so much more important when you guys were making records, Jody uh how did you go through the process of getting your records out to the world
2: um well um again Matt and I were kind of the the front and center of mm-hmm. putting all of the business together as mm-hmm. well as the music as well as the band as well as the tours we had booking agencies and that sort of thing but um we were we were you know pioneers in what we were doing mm-hmm. um we recorded in studios um We'd start on our own. I mean, we'd started with a little four-track and, mm. and write music to that. Wow. And and then we'd take it to um, various studios and really expand upon it. But uh, Matt and I financed everything. The band played... I mean, we ran the, the band like a business. We still do. Um, but, you know, and we've played all over the country. And and um, we just... We did it from a business perspective where... The tours had to pay for themselves, and um, our our gigs and our recordings were um, funded, and, and putting the word out was, you know, we didn't have as many avenues to do that as we do nowadays, but it was crazy, because we had fans all over the world, and most of our videos, most of, you know, our later records were people coming to us, and so we had labels We had our own label, too, but um, we weren't on our own label for our first records. Formed our own label and thought that was where it was going to end. And then we had a label out of Italy come to us. We've had other labels in the U.S. that have come to us. And then um, we had a a lot of video opportunities and really doing nice produced written Mm -hmm. videos, shooting on film. We were part of a, a local movie production and that's how we got to know the, the directors and the producers of that project who said, hey, we want to do a video with you. And that was Voyeur. And so the funding piece was never the problem. We really had a lot of people and still do, yeah. actually. Yeah. Right now, we've got a couple offers to go and do new, new product and, or old product new or whatever. So Fun. yeah, we've been really, really lucky that, that people came and found us yeah. and said, we want to get behind your project.
0: That's great. You
2: know, and I have to bring up one thing that I I think is
1: disgusting about that's happening right now. I I don't know if you guys have all heard of these labels that are making bands pay up front to the label. You know, it isn't even just about taking a royalty cut or anything or a percentage, but like now there are labels that are actually like, well, if you, you know, give us $10,000, we'll release your album. We'll do the promotion. We'll get you like, you know, advertising. We'll get you reviews and all of that. So, I mean, it's like they're not even hiding it anymore, which is a little, I I just wow. want to call it out because I think that that's something that some bands are falling for. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's I, I. I just wish those kinds of efforts would go away and disappear and get called out for what they are, and that is yeah. just stealing musicians' money.
0: I mean, the business has always been a little bit sleazy, right? From totally, the label yeah. perspective, it's always been a little bit tough to you know whether you know, all the way up to payola for radio sure. stations, right? I mean, yeah. there's always been a little bit of that. Um, shifting gears a little bit, you all three all three of your bands have a very visual element to not only what you do on the records, you know, sort of imagery wise, but also on stage. And I'm, I'm curious to know how that visual imagery, A, developed for your bands, but also how that plays into the live show and what it means to your fans to have that visual connection with you on stage.
1: Uh, <laughs> we sort of fell into our, our now look. Um, you know, we had been looking for something that would be, I guess, dramatic and, you um, kind of that post-apocalyptic sort of feel and you know we, we put together the Wicked Arts Festival and mm. that's really where I think our look kind of came together with mm. the face masks paint and all that stuff thanks to actually good friend Alex Fentmuo, who did the the sort of face art and I was like I love it I want to keep that and then now the guys all also wear sort of that sort of masky yeah. paint um, it's sort of like akin to you know the Vikings a little bit <laughs> you know sort of right. going to war sort right. of um, but yeah and you know as far As like dress and style and everything on stage we don't we don't come out with like the smoke cannons and geysers and you know light shows and all of that because we just want ourselves to be the show Mm -hmm. rather than having a whole set i mean eventually maybe we'll get there but Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know right now we're just focusing on us and what we bring to the stage and the energy
0: yeah jody how was that visual component brought into your into your music early on
2: um well it was part of it from the very beginning in terms of how we looked and, and, um, you know, from the makeup and the dress and the outfits and um, for me, that was like a a really cool component Mm -hmm. to stepping out on stage. Actually, I came out on stage in a coffin and I had a wireless mic in the coffin and the band was like raging on some cool, you know, intro beginning. Um, and at the appropriate time I like burst out of the coffin (laughs) it was an anvil case that we had made um tapered coffin and um doubled as a road case but um roadies dressed up you know like pallbearers and horror movie characters would bring it out and so that was just the very first thing of the night Mm -hmm. so there was lots and lots of stage dressing Mm -hmm. and people dressing but for me as a as the character that became Morticia, um, it was it. The second you put on that makeup and you, you know, my hair was touching the ceiling at that <laughs> point in time. But um, coming out of a coffin to a stage with um, cool decor and amazing lights, mm-hmm. it was so easy to become that character. I wasn't Jody anymore. Right. I was like this Morticia, Morticia character—evil, yeah, right. dark, scary. Hopefully um i I smile nowadays <laughs> but we um we have and have had forever um an incredible light man, his name is Jim Sorby, and he is an artist in and of himself, and so um Jim Sorby, with his lighting um just talent and vision, brought that set to life, whatever mm-hmm. kind of set we were building at the time yeah. so um, so it was a combination of all the mm-hmm. stage tricks and our own character development that that really gave us that darkness and that yeah. stage show look.
0: That's fun. Sarah, you have obviously with the symphonic metal and the cinematic metal approach, there's there's sort of a code, you know, in terms of having a beautiful gown and that kind of thing. But your drummer wears a bandana over his face. So you have taken yeah. a little different spin on it. Talk a little bit about the visuals in, in your band.
3: Yeah, so the idea of stage clothes was kind of already in place by the time I joined After Time. And the idea is that, um, you know, we're not the kind of band that waltzes up in our jeans and t-shirt that we put on for the day and plays a show. We make it a spectacle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, coming back to being cinematic metal, you know, it's soundtrack metal. Mm -hmm. And soundtracks have to accompany visual media. So we want to make sure the stage show compliments the music we're playing mm-hmm. and so that includes you know the stage clothes and to be honest actually our new stage clothes I get to wear pants Wow! so <laughs> I'm very excited about that but um yeah, I think AJ's mask deal—his um, biggest metal influence—is Slipknot. Ah. So I think that's kind of an homage to the masks that they play on, that they wear when they play on stage. Nice. And um, it's his deal, and we let him do it. And <laughs> as long as the colors match, so you know we have no problem. Um, but yeah, when we play live, there's the clothing. There's you know sometimes you know venue willing. We are able to bring on our smoke geysers and we have a light show if there's enough time to set it up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even just the simple, you know, fan just to blow our hair dramatically because mm-hmm. I'm not actually the one with the longest hair in the band. <laughs> um, so all of those elements combined help to make our performance larger than life. Mm-hmm. We want to stick in their memory mm-hmm. as, you know, something that stood out to them, something that they're they're going to be thinking about the next morning that, you know, if we waltz up and we have, you know, no extra stuff on stage, we've got jeans and a t-shirt, we may not leave that impression no matter how good our music is. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why it's so important to us to always put on our best show possible.
0: Yeah. The, obviously the visual component makes for a great start to the stage show, but engaging with the audience is, is kind of a special skill in and of itself. What kinds of things do you do during a show to either bring a crowd along with you if they're not there yet or to kind of amp what's already been going on in the audience. I mean, Jody, you've, you've obviously had some experiences on both sides of the spectrum, I suppose.
2: Oh, that is an understatement. <laughs> um, to bring them along. I, it, it really depended on where we'd play. I mean, sometimes, um, we have booked into, I think it was called grandpa Al's and fair Um, and, they were so starved for metal music down there um i I remember we went out and played and there was this mosh pit and i'm like we're not a mosh pit kind of band you guys why are you doing this it was like you really want to be engaged by the music so you know you'd walk into places like that and and it was they were just hungry for it um flip side of the coin we uh the halloween blizzard mm-hmm. of 92 i 91. think it was 91 yes oh my god that that was a life-changing event for this band um just because we were coming from superior wisconsin Oh man. Um, uh the night that the snow started and then halloween night we were playing um up in in circle pines and i don't remember the name of the club but it the, the first scary thing was walking in there after getting off the road in the blizzard and knowing there wasn't going to be a soul out right. at that gig, but we were getting paid a lot of money. So we were right. going to get gonna there <laughs> and we were going to play, even if it was to two people, which it was maybe three people. But the the scary thing was going into that club and our, we had a booking agent at the time who said, this is going to be great. They, they love you. It's a Halloween show. It's going to be awesome. You're making a ton of money. Okay we'll do it sort of hesitantly mm-hmm. and when you walk in and look at the the jukebox and there's like Olivia Newton-John <laughs> front and center you're like oh we are in the wrong place we got both kinds of music yeah. country and western yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: but the you know in terms of our 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 core shows our core audience and how do we get get them engaged you know the it was extremely rewarding and still is that Um, you know, we will play this gig, um, or gigs every year, which we're not full time. We just play kind of around the fall. Usually we'd like to change that and we will, but, um, the people that come out are people that saw us then Mm -hmm. and people that are 20, you know, I mean, it's crazy. And so the engagement of the crowd, is um, usually because they know the music, mm-hmm. and so they hear the opening riff to a song that that they love, yep. and boom, you know where that that crowd's coming up to the stage, and they're all singing along, and yeah. there's nothing you know cooler than that from mm-hmm. uh, being on stage perspective. Yeah,
0: Melissa, you've had the experience of both uh, supporting other bands, but also headlining shows of your own. How does the sure. crowd? energy change in those environments and how, what do you have to do differently to connect with the audiences?
1: That's a really good question. And I, you know, honestly, I haven't thought about it that way. Um, you know, I think that, we've, we've been fortunate that even when we're playing support for bands, um, they're ready and they're like, they're ready to go. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, we approach every show as though we're headlining, you know, that we're giving it the like our all, you Mm -hmm. know, um, our whole stage thing is just about intensity Mm -hmm. and, you know, really trying to, again, sort of bring that character as Mm -hmm. we've kind of talked about that you sort of transform into this character of sort of this post-apocalyptic dictator woman coming forward. And, you know, I mean there are songs that like we know like they're gonna mosh Mm -hmm. and it you know so we've gotten that going I mean it took a little while but you know it's like we know there's there's certain songs that they're gonna just let their anger out Mm -hmm. you know and um you know it's 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 kind of fascinating. I mean, sometimes it depends on, you know, the bands that we're supporting. Mm -hmm. If we're supporting a death metal band, that's just really kind of a different fit. You know, Mm -hmm. they might not get as intense into it because they're saving their intensity for that death metal band. But, like, when we played with um, New Year's Day, for example, Mm -hmm. which is a gothic female-fronted band out of Mm -hmm. California, I mean, they were right there with us, and they were, like, you know, chanting, hands up, you know, moshing, Mm -hmm. slapping hands, all that kind of stuff. So, um, but I think, like, you know, that's just how we approach it, that every single show, we're going to give it the same amount of energy, even mm-hmm. if we're opening for three bands ahead of us or if we're headlining. Um, I think it's just important that they get that Plague of Stars experience, yeah. you know, at the same time.
0: So. That's that's great. And when you were going into new venues on your most recent tour, Sarah, uh, what was it like to reach those audiences for the first time?
3: It was an awesome experience, just getting to meet new people and... Granted, the the band that we toured with, uh, Seven Spires, they've probably been around about as long as us, but they've been able to get a little bit further than us as far as overall reach and getting music out. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like in general, though they brought in a lot of the crowds, not always, but for the most part, um, we always got the comment of... You know, you guys still blew me away. Mm -hmm. I was here for the other band, but I love you guys. I'm going to, you know, come to your table and buy your merch. Mm -hmm. And um, because our styles were similar enough between the two bands, we still, you know, draw the kind, the same kind of people mm-hmm. and so even though they weren't as familiar with our music you could still see them getting engaged and you know if I was leading a hey hey or whatever it was um you know they would still for the most part interact with that and mm-hmm. so that was great to see
0: that's great I want to switch gears just a little bit more too I want to talk about some of the new stuff that you all have have coming up but uh I want to sort of get a sense of Trends overall in the industry in particular for women in in metal. I mean traditionally historically very male dominated genre, but there seem to be a lot more uh, bands that are including and having, you know, women at the at the forefront. What what have you seen over the years and, and are there some unique opportunities and challenges being a woman in in a in such a male dominated genre. Jody, do you want to maybe
2: as I'm sitting here with a look of confusion on my <laughs> face. um i i never really see walls (laughs) i just really don't that's great um you know it's like try to hold me back you know Uh, and and i didn't i guess i haven't paid that much attention Hmm. to you know other women in music and in bands and yet i've had Many who've come back to me and said, hey, you know, there was this time that I was really being down because it wasn't happening and and you kind of gave me the pep talk or whatever. And it meant a lot to me. Mm -hmm. And I and I'm kind of um, taken back by that because Mm -hmm. I didn't realize I was doing that or encouraging other women in music at the time. But to me, um, it's a natural fit. I mean, Um, and, and there was never like, you know, I'm, I'm going to tear down this wall of male dominated music and, yeah. and be this incredibly cool rocker chick. Mm-hmm. You no, know? I mean, it was just, it, it, it I, I love seeing more. Mm-hmm. There obviously have not been as many historically, but I could, I could name a bunch that yeah. there have been. And so they were great influences to me.
0: That's great. From a
2: style and yeah. everything else. Yeah. But
0: I mean, I think back to, uh, I'm a huge Lita Ford fan, huge Lita Ford fan from way back in the day. Runaways. And, yep. And, and she and all of the runaways talk about how hard that was on those early tours okay. for them to get accepted as a legitimate rock band. And so I, you know, that's always struck me as something that, yeah. you know, is a little bit of a challenge in this, in this genre.
1: Yeah. You know, I think just to kind of give the example of locally, you know, cause I've sort of spanned a couple of generations, <laughs> I'm still trying to rock it out, but, um, you know, what, what, what's kind of interesting is like, yeah, when I first started back with Ace Medeva, there weren't a whole lot of women fronted bands. There mm-hmm. were a few, mm-hmm. you know, and we all knew each other Sure, and, um, and, but now today it's actually kind of crazy how many female fronted and female musicians Mm -hmm. are in bands today. And, um, you know, and I, I don't know. I think that if anything, the trend has been that you actually see more women Mm -hmm. in metal. Um, I feel like I don't see as many women attending shows as I do men. Um, but yeah. And I feel like back in the day there was just, there was so much more of a diversity in the audience of, 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 people of you know males and females and now it feels like we we see a lot of men Hmm. in the audiences, not as many females interesting um you know I think that you know also just back in the 2000s like I it it always felt like a as a female fronted band it felt special yeah you know so I I don't I never felt any walls at all personally um and then you know going over to Europe with the symphonic metal I mean Mm -hmm. they're all fronted by women so it was like that was you know that was my world that I Mm -hmm. lived in and it felt actually very female dominated Yeah. So, interesting. yeah.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Sarah, what's been your experience?
3: So, you know, I'm still in my mid-20s, so I kind of represent the, the new generation of metal bands and metal fans. And so I feel like I'm really fortunate to not have as many walls as, you know, maybe some bands from before. And so I kind of have to echo the same sentiments that I've never felt... That I would, you know, nobody's come out and said, oh, you can't do that because you're mm-hmm. a chick or you're not real metal. If anything, we get that just because, you know, we don't scream and play blast beats. <laughs> <laughs> Contrary to the name of the show. Wait a minute. But oh, I'm, I'm outed now. Um, but yeah, I think if anything, being female fronted is a tool that we can use mm-hmm. because it's still different enough that, you know, people pay attention like, oh, that's the band with the chick singer. Right. Um, And it's not necessarily a bad thing. That's like, damn um, right it is. <laughs> 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 exactly. And, um... You know, even aside from women, I think we're also seeing a lot more people of color in metal, Mm -hmm. which I'm also equally excited to see. I think being that metal is such an inclusive community Mm -hmm. that that should be echoed in the bands that play metal. And I'm glad to see more of that coming forward. As far as women in the audience, um, I I do kind of see the same thing that Melissa sees. And I'm not sure what specifically drives that. But I do know, at least in the local scene, there's actually been a recent movement um, it could be because women don't always feel as safe mm-hmm. at metal shows. Yep. Um, I personally have never had a problem, but I know people that have. And um, there was an incident that was the catalyst for this movement recently, but there's now a Facebook group called Metal Maidens, Safety mm-hmm. in Numbers. And it's uh, it was started by a couple members at the local scene that now it's it's all these women that, get to know each other a little bit more. They say, hey, I'm going to go to the show. Does anybody want to go with me? Or, hey, I'm going to be at the show. Mm. I can walk you back to your car if you want. Or, you know, it's kind of this camaraderie that's coming yeah. forward and I think it's going to bring a lot more women out to local shows because there is that that safety element now yeah. and I think the rest of the scene and the men in the scene are seeing what's you know what may have been happening mm-hmm. and they're speaking up about it a lot yeah. more Good. and so I, I think that's taking things in a really positive direction that's great what's also kind of interesting
1: though about that group and just sort of what women are experiencing is I, I guess I didn't really know that that was going on um, so to me it was sort of eye opening because for me personally I always felt most safe in the metal world Mm -hmm. in metal concerts I mean it's the muggle world that you have to be worried about (laughs) (laughs) I mean honestly I and so that's why it it was sort of eye-opening even to me I was Mm -hmm. sort of I guess living with my head underground Mm -hmm. but yeah Mm
0: -hmm. well it's it's good I mean it's frustrating to hear that something like that had to happen for that camaraderie to start to develop but it sounds like a really positive response um that could hopefully you know maybe even expand the audience um that's good. We've only got a couple minutes left. This has been an amazing, I can't believe we've been talking for an hour. This has been really fun. Um, and I want to thank you all for, for being here, but I want to give you each a chance to talk about what's happening for your band in the next few months. What's uh, What's on the docket for you? Listen, and Plague of Stars.
1: So Plague of Stars has three shows coming up. I had to write them down because I forgot. Um, October 15th, so in a couple Tuesdays from now, we're playing at the Whiskey. Um, we're opening for a band called uh, Madam Mayhem. And then December 9th, we're playing the Impaler Krampus <sighs> Fest. We just got out
0: Fest! <laughs> I'm so excited for that show.
1: <laughs> yeah, me too. Oh, God. You got to love Impaler. They're just yeah. the best. Um, and then we're opening for Insomnium uh, on March 23rd. And actually, After Time's also on that. That show we are so yeah Fun. yeah
0: that's great and and you talked a little bit maybe about being, being back in the studio.
1: And being back in the studio, yeah, probably towards the end of 2020, mm-hmm. um, we're probably going to get another Wicked Arts Festival going up. In fact, I was talking to uh, Jody about bringing more Tisha on board Fun. for that. That'd be really cool. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're we're plotting and planning and trying great. to figure it all out. And where yeah.
0: do people find out more about Plague of Stars? Uh,
1: you can find us on Facebook um, and at Plague of Stars. And then um, it would be really great if you guys are planning on coming to the October or the March show um, is to buy tickets through us because we do actually make money off of those tickets great um it helps the band
2: directly
0: great so, yeah. awesome i'm looking forward to that show yeah me too yeah. <laughs> jody what's uh, what's coming up for you guys
2: um we are playing on november 1st mm-hmm. um it's a friday night so it's um it's a halloween show um at mortimers on lindale and franklin mm-hmm. and um we're playing with um the rope and um, um dj mercury right dj mercury thank you i just blanked <laughs> Um, and I'm really excited about that gig. And then we have this this band um, that we have with um, with Zenia and Jack and Matt, and myself and Marco. Um, we're really excited about going back in to record some material and some new material. That's exciting. And, and we're also um, thinking about doing a little twist on something else that i'm not going to talk about yet so (laughs) more to come on that
0: exciting that's that's great well we'll make sure everybody and and how do we get people to know about the show at mortimer's but also about more about morticia
2: um our facebook page for morticia and um we have that's up the mortimer show is on there um it's a a nine o'clock show and um we want people to get there at nine o'clock
0: all right. Don't miss out. Right. Don't, don't show up fashionably metal late, right?
1: No. No such thing as metal <laughs> get time. your spikes on into the concert.
0: That's right. You got to get out of the coffin early. Sun's going down. The sun will be down in plenty of time. That is
2: so right. <laughs>
0: Sarah, what's coming up next for you guys in Aftertime?
2: For
3: the rest of the year, we're still focusing on our full-length album and wrapping up the recording of that. Um, The only show on the books for us right now is, like Melissa mentioned, we'll be opening for Insomnium in March. Um, And our former tour mates, Seven Spires, are actually opening on that tour as well. So it'll be kind of a nice reunion show. Um, But yeah, you can find us. The best way to keep track of us is on our Facebook page, um, which is Aftertime. Mm Time. And if you find our YouTube channel, After Time Official, we do have some sneak peek uh, tracks up there of the orchestrations for some of the new songs. So I know a lot of our fans have been hungry for that new stuff. And so it's just a little bit to nibble on until we have more to show for it.
0: Exciting. All right. Well, thank you all for coming here. Melissa from Plague of Stars. Thank you. Thank you so much. Jody from Morticia. Thank you for being here thanks Jason and Sarah from aftertime thank you thank you All right so this has been blast beats and bicycles here at 91.7 FM McAllister College radio in St Paul Minnesota.